0: Well, good morning. It's great to be with you this morning. I'm Will Davis, and I serve as the campus pastor up at our Stone Oak campus. And it's always a gift to have this annual homecoming here with you all. And to say thank you for your prayers, thank you for your support, thank you for your visits, You are always more than welcome to join us for worship up there at 1300 Evans Road, and we are blessed to be two campuses, but one family, one body of Christ seeking to reach our communities and our city and our world with the gospel of Jesus Christ. And this is always one of my favorite Sundays of the year here at Wayside as as we get to celebrate all that God did in our midst this past week through Vacation Bible School. And I was blessed to be able to serve with my wife, Kara, and Kimberly Hill, and Kate Martin, and we had some great student leaders in preschool games. We had a lot of fun. Just playing with all those little kids and then sending them on to worship, hear God's word, respond in faith to the gospel. And we can't say thank you enough to all of the staff, to our 356 volunteers. This week would not have been possible without the Lord's help, first and foremost, but all of the volunteers and their sacrifice They're sacrificed out of a busy week, a busy summer, to make that investment in the lives of our young people. And it's an investment of an eternal ramification. So we are very, very grateful. And to those 575 kids and their families, some of whom may be here this morning, we love you and we thank God for you. And our kids learned this past week that although we may find ourselves shipwrecked in life, we can be assured, we can know that Jesus is our rescuer. It might feel like we are lost and on a deserted island of of pain and confusion and hurt at times. But Jesus always rescues us. He never deserts us. He never leaves us. And knowing that He is our rescuer should cause us to draw near to Him and to cling to Him and to have a spirit of readiness for when He returns. And this morning, we are looking at Luke chapter 12 and a spirit of readiness. And I I can't say thank you enough to... Pastor Roger and Pastor Michael for the wonderful series we've been having in the Gospel of Luke. Uh, our, our, the church family up in, in Stone Oak, we have loved this series. And we're looking forward in the next couple of weeks to hear from some more of our, our pastors. Here in Luke 12, Jesus is once again using his favorite method of teaching, the use of parables, parables. Parables are stories that relate to real life in order to make a spiritual point. And Jesus uses several little parables in our passage to teach readiness for His return. And Jesus first begins in Luke chapter 12, verse 35, "...be dressed ready for service and keep your lamps burning." This phrase, be dressed for service or be dressed in readiness, is referring to the long robes that were worn in biblical times. And the robes went below the knees, making it very difficult for someone to to run or or to work or to serve. You could easily get tripped up by that long garment. So it needed to be girded up or, or tied up or tucked into a belt. We see this when the Israelites had to quickly flee Egypt in the Exodus. In Exodus 12:11, they were to eat with their robes girded, sandals on their feet, their staff in their hand so they could flee at a moment's notice. And Christ is saying here in order to be ready For my return, ready to serve me, tie up that which may be hindering your readiness. And then he said, Keep your lamp lit. Be ready to dispel the darkness of this world with the light of Christ. Gird up your robe, keep your lamp lit. What else must we do to get ready for Christ? Number one, we can wait. Expectantly. Verse 36. We wait like servants waiting for their master to return from a wedding banquet. So that when he comes and knocks, they can immediately open the door for him. In this first parable, the master returns from a wedding feast. And a wedding feast or a celebration in that time could last for several days. And so the servants would have no idea when the master might be getting home. And think of the servants who would be waiting for the groom to come home with his new bride. And the groom is is outside the front door and he's holding his bride in his arms ready to carry her across the threshold of their new home home. And as a servant, you wouldn't want to keep them waiting outside. The servants were to be ready to open the door at the first knock and jump up to serve the master. But you know, sometimes it's hard to wait. It's hard to wait when we get discouraged, when we get tired and weary, when we don't have control of our situation. I struggle with waiting. It could be something small like waiting in line at a, at a drive through, uh, waiting in traffic up there in, in, in Stone Oak, waiting for the, the two seconds for a website to pull up. Is this, is this dial up service? Why is it taking more than a second on this airplane to check my email? We don't like to wait. But it could be waiting on bigger things in life as well. Waiting on God to answer a prayer that we've been praying for years. Waiting for the Lord to develop my character where it is lacking. Waiting for a victory over a temptation or a sin. Being in the waiting room of God's will is one of the most challenging places to be. And some of you may find yourselves in that waiting room of life right now. No one goes to a waiting room just for fun. You don't go to a waiting room to hang out and socialize and just get a cup of coffee. No, God has you there for a purpose. He has you there for a reason. You're in the waiting room waiting and hoping and praying for answers. You're waiting on God to show up. That reminds me of the story of Bob Hayes, the famous wide receiver from the Dallas Cowboys in the 1960s and 70s. And Bob Hayes had the nickname... Bullet Bob Hayes, because he was considered the fastest man in the NFL at that time. And before he got to the NFL, Bob Hayes won a gold medal in the 1964 Tokyo Olympics in track and field. The only athlete to win a gold medal and then later on win a Super Bowl. And when Bob Hayes joined the Cowboys, he was so fast that it was said... No one man could stay with him on defense. And he was so fast that during practice when Hayes was told to go deep, to go long, the ball would be thrown as far as possible down the field. But the pass was still late. Bullet Bob Hayes was so fast that he had to slow down in order to catch the ball. He had to wait for the ball to catch up to him but we serve a god who is never late we serve a god who is always on time sometimes we just have to slow down because we try to get ahead of god and what he is trying to teach in us and complete in us and refine us while we wait You may find yourself in that waiting room, you're waiting for college, you're waiting to move out on your own, you're waiting for that person to marry, you're waiting to have a child, you're waiting for that perfect job, that dream home, you're waiting for retirement. Perhaps you're waiting to be lifted out of a season of discouragement and depression. You're waiting for the pain to stop. You're waiting for the results to come back from the biopsy. You're waiting to see if the treatments worked. But instead of the waiting room, what if we saw that room as more of a classroom? A classroom where God is teaching us more about himself more about his promises and his character and how he wants to use this space and this time in the waiting room, the classroom, to make us more like his son Jesus. So we wait expectantly. And number two, we watch alertly. Verse 37, It will be good for those servants whose master finds them watching when he comes. What does it mean to watch alertly, to keep watch. I think about a time before we had cell phones. For some here in this room, that's crazy talk. I mean, you can't imagine that. But before we were able to text things like, on my way, or before we could call and email someone with our plans, people would just show up unexpectedly. I think of the mother waiting for her son to come home from World War II, and the mother standing there at the big kitchen window overlooking her farm there in the rural Midwest. A letter hasn't arrived from her son in weeks, but still she watches alertly. She waits expectantly, and she hopes and prays that today might be the day when her son comes home. She's got one eye on her work, but with the other eye, she's gazing longingly out the window. And then suddenly, there on the horizon, coming over the rise of a hill in the distance, a tall figure appears in the shadows of the sunset. Could this be him? Someone who left the farm years ago, a boy, but now returns from the war a man. And he has a pack slung over those weary shoulders. And she hears the dog bark excitedly in the yard because he knows the master has returned. And the mother has to catch her breath. Perhaps she just drops what she's doing. Perhaps she has to gird up her long dress her apron because she runs she runs because her son is finally home this is the picture of watching and waiting for when Christ the son of god comes back to take us home the second part of verse 37 speaks of something that's unexpected And it's a a surprising twist. Truly, I tell you, he, speaking of the master, will dress himself to serve. And he will have them, the servants, recline at the table. And then the master will come and wait on them. Just as the servant tied up his long robe in order to serve and and wait on tables, we see here a reversal of robes, a a reversal of roles as the master now becomes the servant. If the master returns to find the servants had been faithful and not just awake but ready to serve, then the master will turn around and serve and wait on them. And this would have been unheard of in that context. But we see this very thing happen in John 13 when Jesus wraps the towel of a servant around his waist and washes his disciples' feet. He takes on the form of a servant, Philippians 2.7. For he did not come to be served, Mark 10.45, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Verse 38, it will be good for those servants whose master finds them ready, even if he comes in the middle of the night or toward daybreak. Your translation might read whether he comes in the second watch or even in the third, The second watch would have been between 9 p.m. and midnight. And then the third watch would have been between midnight and 3 a.m. I'm more of a morning person. So when that second watch hits, 9 or or 10, I begin to fade a bit and, and fall asleep. But Jesus says spiritually, we are not just to stay awake, but we are to keep watch. We are to sit up late while he stays out late. Gird up those robes. Keep that lamp lit. Be ready to serve. This is the spiritual equivalency of sleeping with your tennis shoes on. You are ready. You are watching with expectation. You're listening for that first knock, and you're ready to open the door and serve Christ. And then verses 39 and 40, we see another brief parable to illustrate the point that we don't know the day or the time when Christ returns. And the parable is that of the homeowner and the thief. We think of Christ as the good shepherd and and the great physician and our rescuer, but we don't think of him as the sneaky thief. And we shouldn't think of him that way because he doesn't have any of the qualities of a thief. There's no deceit. There's no evil intent in Christ. So it's not Jesus who is like the thief, but it's his return that we can compare to that of the thief or the burglar because he will give no notice. There will be no advance warning of his return. Verse 39. But understand this, if the owner of the house had known at what hour the thief was coming, he would not have let his house be broken into. You also must be ready because the Son of Man will come at an hour when you do not expect him. His return will be sudden. So we must be constantly vigilant and ready. And our first two points speak to a spirit of readiness, and our second two points speak to a posture and a behavior of faithfulness. This is what we are to do while we wait and while we watch. We are to work faithfully as to the Lord. As my good friend Steve Ramser speaks of, we should be diligent in the work which God has put before us, always with one eye faithfully on our task and the other eye we are looking up and watching and waiting and asking, how long, O Lord, is today the day? We are to work faithfully. But as John Piper writes, our goal in the Christian life is not productivity, but holiness. Not speed, but obedience. Not success, but surrender. Surrender. We are to work with the spirit of readiness, but also work with great joy. As Pastor David Jeremiah says, It is not enough to perform our work with faithfulness if we're doing it for the wrong reasons. We find fulfillment only when our work is done with enthusiasm and with joy and rendered for God's glory. Peter then responds to Christ's parable with a question in verse 41. Jesus, who are you talking to? Peter wanted to know, Lord, is this just for us, the disciples, or is this directed at everyone else that is gathered here as well? And as Jesus often does, he responds to a question with another question. Verse 42. The Lord answered, who then is the faithful and wise manager whom the master puts in charge of his servants to give them their food allowance at the proper time? It will be good for that servant whom the master finds doing so when he returns. Truly, I tell you, he will put him in charge of all of his possessions. Jesus is speaking to his disciples and he's speaking to us here Today, as a follower of Christ, we are to be faithful with that which has been entrusted to us our work, our spiritual gifts, God's people, our spouse, our children, our parents, the next generation, the 575 kids on our campus this past week. When we come, to the end of our lives, we want to be found faithful, faithful to the Lord and faithful with that and with whom God had entrusted to us. But sadly, we read in, in verses 45 through 48 that some servants had not been faithful. Some servants were not ready. These were the servants in the parable that had been placed as managers Over the other servants. And it was their responsibility to take care of these other servants, especially in the master's absence. But since the master delayed, the manager abused these other servants. This is the unbeliever who is unfaithful with his knowledge and his awareness of the gospel. He had failed to gird up his robe. His lamp had burned out. He was asleep spiritually, and darkness and hardness had taken over his heart. And when the master came knocking, he wasn't ready. And then we see the final sentence of this passage. From everyone who has been given much, much will be demanded. And from the one who has been entrusted with much, much more will be asked. Will Christ find you asleep? Will he find you unfaithful when he returns? Or will he find you not just awake, but alert? With your spiritual running shoes on, you're ready to serve him. And our faithfulness in this life will not go unnoticed by the Lord. If not in this life, then in the life to come, with added privileges and added ministry as we serve the Master in glory. And until that day, we wait expectantly. We watch alertly. We work faithfully. And finally, we worship victoriously. We worship while we work and wait and watch Worship is not just for Sunday mornings. It's not just for VBS week. Worship is to be done every moment of every day. In the home. In the cubicle. In the waiting room. In the classroom. And we worship victoriously because Christ defeated sin and death on the cross And he rose again to give us the gift of eternal life if we simply place our faith in him alone. You may be sitting here this morning and you think that you have your life in order. You may think like the man in Ernest Hensley's poem, Invictus, that you are the master of your own fate and the captain of your own soul. You may think, I've done just enough. To get to heaven, I've done more good than bad in my life. If anyone could work their way into heaven, it's me. And that was my thinking the first half of my life. But then I understood for the first time that heaven is a free gift. It's not my works that God will consider when I make that transition into glory. On that day, if God were to ask me, Will, why should I let you into my heaven? My list of qualifications and good works on my moral resume will not be enough. He will want to know just one thing. Will, have you trusted in my son? Have you placed your faith in Christ who died on the cross for your sins and rose again to give you everlasting life? in heaven. It's not about what you do for me, it's about what I already did for you on the cross. It reminds me of the story of the young boy who built a a little wooden toy boat, something much smaller than this amazing boat behind me. Thank you to the family who who built that for VBS. Um, But this boy in our story, he he built a little toy boat. I still sometimes have a hard time saying those two words together, toy boat. I want to see if you all can say those two words. Are you ready? I want you to say toy boat three times fast on the count of three. One, two, three. See, it's 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 humanly impossible. But this <laughs> this little boy had this toy boat. And one day he takes the boat out to the lake and he's standing there on the dock and he's got that boat on a long string and he lets the boat out on the lake and the sail catches the wind and the boat takes off. And the boy is so excited to see that which he had made do what it was created to do. But suddenly a big gust of wind comes out of nowhere and and the boy can no longer control the boat and the string snaps and suddenly the boat is gone and this boy is, is devastated and he's crushed because that which he had made is now lost. Some weeks later, the boy and his father, they're walking through town, and they walk past this resale shop, and the son happens to look over at the store, and there in the window, to his shock and amazement, is his sailboat. Someone must have found it and sold it back to the shop. And the boy goes in, and he picks up that boat, and sure enough, it's his but the wood is now all, all chipped up, and the, the paint is, is peeling off. It's banged up and broken. The mast is damaged, the, sa- the sail is torn. But the boy doesn't care about any of that. And he sets the boat back down, and he says to his father, I'll be right back. And the boy rushes home, and he breaks open his piggy bank, and he brings all of his money. And he dumps it on the counter of that store. And the son buys back what he had made. And he goes outside with that boat that was broken. And he hugs it. And he says to that boat, twice you are mine. I made you. And now I bought you. And that is the believer in Christ. Jesus says to you, I made you. I fashioned you. But then I lost you. And you were such a mess when I found you. In sin and rebellion and brokenness and disobedience. But then I bought you back. Twice you are mine. And then he says, heaven, home with me is a free gift. It's free for you, but not for me. It came at a great price, the price of my own life for yours. But it was all so that I could buy you back to redeem you, to purchase you with my own blood. And I'm with the Father now, but wait and watch and work and worship because I'm coming back soon. Get ready. Let's pray. Father God, it can be so hard at times to wait and not try and get ahead of what you are trying to do in us. To teach us and complete in us. So, Lord, as we get ready for your return, help us to wait well. Help us to watch alertly, to wait expectantly, knowing that you are also watching. And waiting for those in need of Christ. As we read in Psalm 121.4, He who watches over Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. And Father, you won't rest until we come home. We see this relentless pursuing love in the prodigal son's father who was watching and waiting for his wayward son to come home. Luke 15 20, while the son was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion for him. And this clearly wasn't the first day the father had been watching and waiting for his son. And Lord, this is how you feel about us. If we come home to you, By faith alone, you won't say to us, see, I told you so. But you will run to us. You will meet us and embrace us in your love and grace and forgiveness. Thank you, Father. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. There will be prayer partners right up here. I'll be here as well. I would love to pray for you. And now go in peace to love and serve the Lord. Have a great day.